Hi, I'm Carmen LaBurge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBurge on Faith Radio. If we're going to fly, we fly like eagles. morning on this Martin Luther King Jr. holiday. It is Monday the 16th of January 2023 uh, and this is a special edition of Mornings with Carmen. So this is a pre-recorded show just to recognize that if you choose to text us during this time we'll see it tomorrow morning. Um, and so greetings to you. Our growing your faith verse of the day comes from Proverbs chapter 16 verses 2 and 3. All a person's ways seem pure to them but motives are weighed by the Lord. Commit to the Lord whatever you do, and he will establish your plans. Uh, so this is really a uh, a teaching here on the wisdom of our motivations and examining what motivates our behavior. Because, you know, my power of rationalization is really strong, and so is yours, and so all a person's ways seem pure to them. Like, right, we are, we are um, chronically optimistic about ourselves and our own righteousness. And we are also chronically pessimistic or um, dysphemistic about the chronic state of other people, like all those other people, right? But, you know, God's not judging us by comparison to our fellow man. God is judging us by the comparison to his holiness. And so when you weigh me by that measure, I will um, come up wanting for sure. And so I want to commit to the Lord um, everything that I do in advance. I want to offer the Lord every opportunity to make himself known in and through my thoughts, my words, my deeds, to bring me moment by moment into greater conformity with his will, right? And then and then trust that he will establish um, my plans, right? Which is to say that if I commit them to him and he brings them into conformity um, by the power of his Holy Spirit, then they become his plans. Or the way that I walk in the world uh, finds its expression in what ultimately are the plans of God. So there you go. Proverbs 16, 2 and 3. Be thinking today um, about not only uh, how we think about ourselves and the power of rationalization, but also um, how our motives are weighed against what God, um, what God has in mind, the divine appointments that he has set, the character and the ways of God in the world. Today is Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, day. And so we want to talk today about him. We want to talk about um, his faith. We want to talk about um, his powerful influence uh, in the world. And I'm going to focus for a few minutes here on the I Have a Dream speech and the I Have a Dream um, just the way of living, like, right? Do you live with a dream? Um, and in Martin Luther King Jr.'s uh, dream speech, I have a dream speech, um, he actually talks about several dreams, not just one. We'll unpack some of that a little bit later in the hour. But I want to just start with, you know, dreaming. 
and the power of dreams. And what do we know about the Bible? What do we know from the Bible about dreams and dreamers? So I made a quick list here. It's illustrative. I'm sure it's not exhaustive. These are the dreamers that I could think of when I, um, you know, set about, all right, who are the dreamers in the Bible? Who are the people who dream that we actually, that's the way it's described and articulated in God's word. Well, Abraham um, was a dreamer. Abraham um, had a dream. And it was in a dream that God uh, called Abraham to, you know, leave the home of uh, of his, uh, his, his father and go to a place that God would show him, um, right? There's a, there's a trust component into, uh, in, in Abraham's dream. Um, I have given this land to your descendants, God says, in a dream to Abraham as well. Abimelech is a dreamer. Um, it, it was in a dream that God protected Sarah from the king of Gerar named Abimelech. We are told that God spoke clearly and directly to Abimelech, now, Abimelech is not a man after God's own heart. He's not uh, a person in um, <laughs> who has any part in God's redemptive story other than God speaks directly to Abimelech in a dream. That's what Scripture tells us. And this is what God says to Abimelech. Do not touch Sarah. Don't touch her. Don't lay your hands on her. Um, Jacob has a couple of dreams that you probably know of, the um, Jacob's ladder dream, um, it would be one. And then um, this uh, speckled goats uh, dream that he has um, about goats that have speckles and goats that do not. So there's uh, all kinds of dreams in the Old Testament. Um, Laban is the uncle of Jacob, and he has a dream. Um, God it tells him to be careful how he talks, um, how he talks to his nephew. Um. Joseph is maybe another dreamer that comes quickly to mind, right? When you think about who are the dreamers in the Bible, I'm, I'm, I'm betting, I'm betting that Joseph in the Old Testament and Joseph in the New Testament come to mind in terms of dreamers. I'm also betting that Daniel comes to mind. Um, how about Pharaoh's chief cupbearer and Pharaoh's chief baker, who both had dreams, and Pharaoh himself who had dreams? Um, yeah, I know, who else is coming to mind in terms of dreamers? Well, I guess... You know, one of the um, things that we know about Daniel, not only is he a dreamer, a person who has dreams, but a person who interprets the dreams of others, right? There's dream interpreters in the Bible as well, both dreamers and those who interpret dreams. And then I guess if we pivot to the New Testament, I've already mentioned Joseph, the um, the one who becomes the husband of Mary and um, and father to Jesus. It's in a dream that he learns about the supernatural conception of Jesus in the womb of Mary. It's through a dream that Joseph learns that his little family is in danger, and um, the Magi are the ones who received vital information from God in a dream that they should leave by another route, and that really inflamed Herod's anger, and Herod sent his forces to kill all the baby boys in um, in Bethlehem, and God came to Joseph in a dream and sent him off to Egypt with his little family, and after the death of Herod, Joseph has another dream that it's safe to return back to Israel, and so he does. Um. The wife of Pontius Pilate has a dream that Pilate did not heed. So there's lots of dreams in the Bible. And I, I recognize that when I make reference to these people who whose dreams are recorded in Scripture and to the dreams that God uses in the Bible, I recognize that that, was, that, which, was in, that which is, excuse me, recorded in the Bible, um, you know, we're talking about something very different 
than what we tend to mean when we talk about our dreams. You know, if you were asked somebody, hey, what are you, dream- what are you dreaming about? Or you, you catch someone daydreaming and you ask them what they're thinking about. Um, dreams in the Bible are certainly more than like win the lottery wish fulfillment. Uh, they are always about somehow advancing the good purposes of God, and, and they're often about thwarting the enemy's plans. So today just seemed a good day to ask, like, what are your dreams? What are you dreaming? What are your God-sized dreams? What are your God-aligned um, dreams? Do you have an I have a dream speech? Like Martin Luther King Jr. lays out, you know, this, I have a dream. I have a dream. I have a dream. If I were to invite you to do the same, like, what would you say? What's your I have a dream dream today? You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBurge, and this is Faith Radio. Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, once said, injustice anywhere is a, th- is a threat to justice everywhere. So in 1963, um, white religious leaders criticized the civil rights movement as impatient and its leaders as unwise. Martin Luther King Jr. responded um, with what is uh, known now as a letter from a Birmingham jail. And it still speaks to us today. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was very gracious in his response. Um, He reasoned out very faithfully um, why it was necessary to stand up to injustice. Uh, And Christians throughout time have have stood for what's right. Uh, And in doing so, that has sometimes been popular and oftentimes it's been unpopular. So the question that faces each of us in our generation is, will we? Will we? Do we care about justice because God is a God of justice? Do we stand up when we see injustice because we are people after God's own heart? Um, Will we act justly and love mercy and walk humbly in the generation in which we live? The particular challenges of our generation are actually not all that different from the challenges faced in the generation of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And the question is, you know, do you more align with, um, with those who sent him a letter when he was in the Birmingham jail those who said, you know what, you just need to be, you need to be patient. And this is not, uh, this movement of yours, it's not wise. Or do you align with and understand yourself as um, being a part of what Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. actually called for in his letter from a Birmingham jail? As a nation, we honor um, the Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. today for the impact that he has had Um, not only on our nation, but on us as individual Christians. 
And I think it's important to recognize on this day that before he became a champion of what we know as the civil rights movement or of social justice, um, he um, he's a pastor, right? He's a regular pastor, ordained minister. Uh, He saw that as his first calling. It was his greatest commitment. And so I thought that maybe today we would just read a few of um, the quotes from him as a clergyman. I mean, he said of himself, uh, in the quiet recesses of my heart, I am fundamentally a clergyman. I'm a Baptist preacher. In his book, Strength to Love, um, he talks about um, his love of preaching, and he talks about his process of developing um, sermons over the course of time. Reverend King uh, was assassinated in 1968. He was a fourth-generation pastor. He earned his divinity degree from Crozer Theological Seminary and a doctorate in systematic theology from Boston University. He was just 25 years old when he was appointed to be the pastor of Dexter Avenue Baptist Church in Montgomery, Alabama, Um, And it was largely based on his oratory skills, his ability to preach, to bring the word, to take people up the proverbial ladder. Longtime church leader um, said in a video at um, History.com, Ralph Bryson is the speaker here. He says, we heard several young men who gave excellent trial sermons. But when we heard Martin Luther King, we said there is no reason to continue looking. That is it. This is the guy, right? So his most famous speech, I Have a Dream, was delivered on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial in 1963. Um, But he delivered equally eloquent words about God and faith from pulpits across the country, both before and after he became famous. And so a few Dr. Martin Luther King quotes for this um, MLK Day. Christianity has always insisted that the cross we bear precedes the crown we wear. It's pretty difficult to imagine a single person having simultaneously the characteristics of the serpent and the dove, but that is what Jesus expects. We must combine the toughness of the serpent and the softness of the dove, a tough mind and a tender heart. Jesus eloquently affirmed from the cross a higher law. He knew that the old eye-for-eye philosophy would leave everyone blind. He did not seek to overcome evil with evil. He overcame evil with good. Although crucified by hate, he responded with aggressive love. These are words of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. on this MLK Day. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBurge, and this is Faith Radio. We shall not, we shall not be moved shall not, we shall not be moved like a tree that's planted by the water. We shall not. So, as we consider um, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. today on this MLK Day, um, one of the things that is uh, notable to me is that his probably most famous actual writing is his letter from a Birmingham jail. You are probably going to see it reprinted in some places or spaces today. If not, you can find it in the show notes um, for today's program. You can always download those at MyFaithRadio.com or 
wherever you subscribe to your podcast, then you'll get the show notes. And in the show notes will be the link to um, to everything we're talking about today, including Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s letter from a Birmingham jail. I commend it, it, it to your reading today. Um, and it reminded me uh, of the lost art of letter writing. Um, I mean, we all know that daily meditation and like eight glasses of water and regular exercise and well, a diet rich and fresh, uh, whole, non-processed, non-GMO foods, like all of that's going to improve our lives. But did you know that writing letters has a therapeutic effect as well? I mean, I, I maybe it's not surprising or shouldn't be surprising, but something as simple as picking up a blank sheet of paper and putting um, a pen to it, allowing that blank page to um, be the place where your heart serves as an inkwell, and your hand becomes this artistic creative agent and you like begin again, again, um, like crumple it up and throw it away until what appears on the page actually aligns with the goodness, beauty and truth of what you genuinely want to say to another person. The lost art of letter writing. Think about that today. Um, you don't you don't fully set aside your rationality when you're writing a letter, but the act of writing um, is pretty emotional. I mean, it's like the flow of thought and the flow of heart onto a page. Um, what have you thought of letter writing as an opportunity to like immerse yourself in thinking about just one other person for an extended period of time? One particular conversation, one deep thought, winding its way like a stream over rocks through the course of your relationship. Consider those places where the waters were still and the pools deep. The mossy banks, the trees planted along the edges, bearing fruit in every season. And yes, the rapids, the hard places, the difficult places. The times when the water didn't run clear. Things got muddy from time to time, but over time, even the rough places became smooth. To whom might you write a letter today? The lost art of letter writing. To whom might you write a letter today? It doesn't matter if they're living or dead. It doesn't matter if the letter will ever be sent or delivered. The benefit is actually in the writing. Could you write a letter today to your long lost love? To your younger self? What about a letter to the child you aborted? Or a letter to the father you never had the opportunity to meet? A letter to the middle school friend who betrayed you or to the person who first told you about Jesus? Could you write a letter today to the person who stood up for the bully on the playground and protected you? Maybe you should write a letter today to the people who stood up for you at your wedding or people for whom you have stood up at their wedding. What about a letter today to that teacher who taught you to speak for yourself or advocate for yourself? Maybe a letter to the coach who helped you discipline your mind and your body and your spirit and helped you find your place as a member of a team. What if you were to write a letter to your pastor or to someone whose book you've read or podcast you've listened to that's made a real difference in your life because of the ways that um, they have talked about things that you would have otherwise not thought of or known? What if you were to write a letter to God today? What would you say? The lost art of letter writing. Allow it to be a meditative experience with nothing but a pen and paper and your mind and heart focused on that other person. Invite the Lord to 
lead you in expressing whatever complex emotions come and then ask him to help you break it down into meaningful words that find expression on the page. And you might say to yourself, I'm not a good communicator. It doesn't matter. Write short sentences. Write one word at a time. As I was thinking about Martin Luther King Jr.'s letter from a Birmingham jail, it got me thinking about other letters from jail. It got me thinking about Paul's letter to the Christians at Ephesus. Paul's letter to the Christians in Philippi. The book of Colossians. How about Philemon? Philemon. That's a really good prison epistle that speaks to the same issues and concerns that Martin Luther King Jr. was facing in his day and the same issues and concerns we face in our day. I mean, an honest observer of the world in the days of Paul, an honest observer of the world in the days of MLK, an honest observer in the days in which we live, an honest observer of the world today must conclude there's something wrong Something is wrong with the way we treat one another. Something is wrong with the social fabric of who we are. People don't do justice. They don't show mercy and they don't walk humbly. Why not? Because people don't think rightly. There is confusion and corruption concerning our very nature, our purpose, the purpose of life, and even our personhood. We see the consequences all around us every day, including racial tension. James observes, Each one of us is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed, and then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Friends, ideas have consequences. They take root in our mind and they work themselves out in our attitudes and actions, Sin of thought becomes sin of effect. Attitude, articulation, and action. Some ideas lead down paths of righteousness, but other ideas lead down paths of destruction unto death. Jesus said the first path is narrow and the second one is wide. So which path are you on today? Which path are you on today? Knowing the depths of man's depravity the power of ideas, and how hard it would be to accept that um, all ideas are not equal, but all people are. God gives us Philemon. Philemon. All right, so Paul was a member of the intellectual elite. Philemon was a wealthy Greek, and Onesimus was a slave. Those are the three characters in view here. They were separated racially, socioeconomically, educationally. Paul, Philemon, and Onesimus. They had very um, little reason to be in one another's company as equals. But the reality of their relationship was radically changed. Why? Because Onesimus, who was a slave, was also a brother in Christ. Because Philemon, who was also a wealthy Greek, was a brother in Christ. Because Paul, who was a member of the intellectual elite, was also a brother in Christ. Paul calls Philemon, the Greek, beloved brother. He calls Onesimus, the slave, my very heart. There is a profound spiritual reality behind these 
substantially restored relationships. And that is the message of the book of Philemon. And it is a prison epistle and it's worth reading today. It's a short letter. It gives us a window into the beauty of the gospel and the beauty the gospel brings to personal relationships. So while he was in prison, Paul met Onesimus. Onesimus had run away from his master Philemon, and Philemon was one of Paul's converts in the church in Colossae. Think about that for just a moment. That's how God works. So there in prison, Onesimus embraced the gospel and was saved. And Paul wrote a letter to Philemon on on behalf of Onesimus, and then he sends Onesimus back to Philemon. And Paul's manner in the letter is the epitome of gentleness and grace. Though he affirms that he could have commanded Philemon, instead he appeals to him on the basis of love. The substance of the appeal is that Philemon should welcome Onesimus no longer as a slave, but as a beloved brother. Welcome him as, if, as you would welcome me. That's what Paul said. Welcome him as you would welcome me. Read Philemon today. It's a prison epistle. Read a letter from a Birmingham jail. It's a prison epistle as well. Each speak to the substantially healed relationships that are offered to us in Christ Jesus and how desperately the world needs the gospel. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBurge. This is Faith Radio. So on this Martin Luther King Jr. Day, let's talk with our friend Daniel Bennett about the relationship between justice and fairness or equality, some of those words and how we use them today. And I'm going to ask him if he has a dream. What would his I have a dream speech be today? You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBurge, and this is Faith Radio. Great to be welcoming Daniel Bennett on this Martin Luther King Jr. holiday. Um, Daniel, welcome back. Thanks very much. Maybe just some um, initial thoughts on, I mean, you know, you, you're you the director of the uh, Center for Faith and Flourishing, and so I'm thinking that um, faith and flourishing are good justice topics for a day like today. I mean, is there is there a relationship that you see between justice, maybe what we would call social justice, and you know, and who we are as people of faith? You know, I think anytime we talk about social justice or fairness or whatever the terminology that the larger culture would like to adopt, there's going to be an inherent connection to what Christians might consider to be the common good, mm. something that is best for our individual, but also collective flourishing. And of course, the major uh, debates and divisions of our time, at least in the political uh, space, centers on how to enact this in terms of in terms of policy. Uh, but Christians, I think, have a I think a responsibility to think about how our faith will relate to these issues of justice and fairness and to uh, support those initiatives that are I- I consistent with this, but also push back on those initiatives that uh, maybe take a slightly different perspective on what this looks like in practice. 
When you talk about um, the common good, we make reference to that. Like, you know, can you draw us a little more f- fully into that? What, what does that mean? Well, something I, I mean, and this is where you get theologians and Catholics and Protestants disagreeing on what it means. But when I think of the common good, I think of a system or a community uh, that respects the uh, individual rights uh, of, of, of its members, that uh, does so in a way that allows for individual flourishing and uh, promotes a system of justice based on principles that uh, lead to equality under the law and ultimately allow for individuals to live uh, rich and full lives. In the Christian context, of course, uh, this would mean consistent with the gospel message. Um, you know, we are uh, we're free, but we're also slaves to Christ. Um, how this looks like in a pluralist system where you know, we're not imposing religious beliefs on the community is, is a big question. Uh, but as far as the common good goes, it's those policies that achieve uh, the best interest of those in our community uh, in, in a way that we relinquish our own self-interest and promote the well-being of others. I think when um, when I think about the common good, like one of the conversations that um, tends to emerge in relationship to this, because sometimes people will talk about fairness as, you know, making sure everybody not only gets a piece of the pie, but an equal slice of the pie. Um, and but, you know, in the end, the pie is used up. And so. Um, right. And so then whoever didn't get a piece of that pie doesn't get any pie at all. There's a, an entirely different way of thinking about the common good. And that is how do we each one. Um, positively invest in the community of which we are a part and the community, uh, you know, of the whole um, in order that there there continu- continues to be resources and opportunities for human flourishing, not just how much can I get right now to satisfy or satiate my, you know, immediate desires, but how can I make sure um, that the common good is not only common to all right now, but but an ongoing reality so is that is that part of the flourishing conversation? Yeah, I think flourishing uh, is a lot more. Uh, it's not necessarily uh, an intuitive posture for a lot of people to take. Uh, flourishing, I think, points to a more complex and, in some sense, long-term vision of of our community together. Uh, what's good for us right now is not necessarily good for us long-term and in, in the best interest of our individual and collective flourishing. I think oftentimes we think of politics as a zero-sum game where if I benefit, uh, then that necessarily means other people don't benefit. Like you're talking about this limited, uh, you know, limited pieces of the pie. I think, uh, you know, Christians should be thinking about ways in which we can uh, not necessarily, uh, you know, limit ourselves to that uh, way of thinking, but thinking about ways we can invest in our communities that kind of expand and confound the existing order to uh, offer those uh, opportunities to folks who, who otherwise wouldn't have those opportunities. And then remember, it's not about equality of outcome, maybe equality of opportunity that we all have access to certain opportunities when we can um, and uh, to do that to the best of our abilities. Again, we're talking with Daniel Bennett. Um, we're, we're talking on this Martin Luther King Jr. Day and um, in a special edition here of Mornings with Carmen talking, you know, around the topic of justice, how it relates to fairness or equality. Um, I want to have a conversation about how how all of that relates to the goodness of God and creation and his grace, um, which, you know, never runs out. It's all sufficient um, and it's ultimately the greatest good. So we're going to continue our conversation here in just a moment on Mornings with Carmen. 
Um, just think for a moment, what um, what are the relationships maybe in your mind, the relationships between rights, your sense of your rights um, and your perceived uh, the, the perception of justice or injustice that others experience in terms of um, the culture in which we live today? How much um, ground have we gained since the days of MLK? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. We're returning to our conversation with Daniel Bennett. Um, Daniel, when you reflect on the days of Martin Luther King Jr. Um, and you think about maybe how much how much ground we have gained um, since those days, um, maybe we could talk a little bit about rights and our understanding of rights and how that's changed and maybe um, our sense of justice and perceived injustices that exist, continue to exist or persist today? Yeah, I mean, those are huge questions. I, I think if you just look back to the legacy of the civil rights movement, um, Martin Luther King and, uh, you know, the, the, the biggest parts of his advocacy are, you know, 60, 70 years old now. There are people alive today who, you know, grew up and came of age in that moment. So it's still relatively fresh in our collective, you know, consciousness. It seems, I imagine to my students and even to me, like this was a long time ago, uh, but we are, we are not that far removed from, from this really important movement in American history. I do think that the language of rights has become a really important part of our political discourse, the right to, you know, X, whether it's healthcare, or education, uh, these things dominate a lot of political discourse. I do think there is a, a danger of uh, when you cast all things in the language of rights, it has the potential to limit or weaken what uh, maybe our fundamental rights and liberties ought to be. And so I think we need to be careful about the language that we use. That being said, you know, rights imply a certain uh, pursuit of justice. And, uh, you know, I think policymakers and those pursuing these policies uh, have uh, an interest in, in defining certain policies connected to justice. Uh, we just have to be discerning about uh, what those actually are. So if I'm a, an ambassador of the kingdom of heaven, I want to be a representative of the king. Um, I want to be a person who doesn't just pray that, um, you know, things on earth would be like things in heaven, um, but a person who actually lives as if that were true and lives into those kingdom realities. Can you talk with us a little bit about justice from God's perspective, um, what you think justice looks like in the kingdom of God? Wow. <laughs> I, uh, you know, I think justice in general would, would uh, we, we go back to, uh, you know, the fall and the, and the plan that was put in motion in Genesis, right, to redeem God's people hmm. uh, and, and his plan to to rescue his people from their sin that was ultimately uh, realized in the death and resurrection of Jesus. Um, and so for, for Christians, uh, that is a just and, and at the same time, extremely merciful uh, solution to the problem of sin in our world. God's justice is, is uh, met in, in the death of, of the sinless person of Jesus Christ. Um, as far as we balance these things as, uh, you know, dual citizens of citizens of earth, as well as uh, citizens of heaven, 
that's a major responsibility for us. I think uh, Christians have the responsibility to think long term uh, and not necessarily get caught up in the day to day squabbles and and fights. Uh, you know, as important as they might seem or even might be, uh, I think we we owe it to our identity as as followers of, of the living God to to think about justice long term and what really is in the best interest of of people and their. Uh, in our communities for, again, not to draw on the same well of flourishing, but for our individual and collective flourishing. So the world might have a more narrow sense of justice. I think Christians can take a much broader and long-term sense of what this means. All right. um, Can I pivot now to a conversation about a Gallup poll where um, Americans were asked to, you know, kind of look at the future and a, a surprising number of people are really like genuinely pessimistic about the future so can we talk about pessimism, optimism, and then maybe realism in relationship to the near and the long term? Yeah, I think in our political system, it's not too surprising to hear that people are generally pessimistic. There are some partisan splits on this uh, in this Gallup poll that you're referencing. You know, Democrats team seem to be a little more uh, optimistic than Republicans and independents. Uh, that usually tracks with whichever party happens to occupy the White House. Um, but, you know, for your listeners who have followed the day to day, uh, political back and forth from Washington, D.C., uh, they're seemingly not a ton to be optimistic about with the fighting that we've seen, the lack of progress, uh, and, and even maybe just looking forward to the next two years of divided government. Um, and I think it's just part of our human nature, too, to be pessimistic in, in general about our ability to govern ourselves. Um, this isn't necessarily uh opposing, you know, a realist perspective, just maybe tempering expectations or setting our expectations low. Um, I do think it's important that we, uh, you know, keep the big picture in mind. Uh, Context matters a great deal. You know, things can be tough here in the United States with respect to the rest of the world, though. Things are incredibly prosperous and and we're doing very, very well uh, compared to 90% of the rest of the world, maybe even 95 or what have you. Um, but yeah, these polls pretty much track with our understanding of partisanship and polarization. Uh, so it shouldn't be too much of a surprise that people are generally pessimistic when we look ahead. Okay, so um, in 1963, Martin Luther King Jr. gives his um, quite famous I Have a Dream speech. Um, I'm wondering if I were to give Daniel Bennett the opportunity to stand um, somewhere and give some kind of I have a dream speech in 2023, what might be one or two of the talking points? You know, I would certainly emphasize the importance and value of pluralism in our Mm. society. It's become so contentious these days, suggests that people with differing points of view or differing even fundamental belief systems are somehow a threat to our own or a threat to us. When in many respects, pluralism and our diversity of opinions is what is what has made uh, this this country great. Um, not that we affirm relativism, but that we stand confident in our beliefs while uh, confidently enough that we respect others to, to have their own beliefs, that we learn from each other, that we listen to one another, uh, not in a utopian way, but to 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 live together, you know, peacefully despite deep difference. So that's that's one thing that immediately comes to mind is just. I have a dream that one day we can embrace our pluralist system without the fears that come from differing identities. Mm. I love that. 
I love that. Um, when you think about the line, let freedom ring, um, what what is a freedom that you see as having either dramatically changed or under particular threat in the days in which we live? Mm. So one freedom that, that comes to mind is just the, the freedom of expression, not necessarily from a government perspective, uh, because government regulations on expression and speech have been pretty consistent over the past several decades. Just culturally, there's lots of research showing that people are increasingly feeling like they can't express their views in public without you know, the threat of being you know, so-called canceled or being attacked or critiqued by the online mob or whatever it might be. Um, you know, this doesn't mean there shouldn't be consequences to our speech or expression. I mean, that's part of living in a contentious society. Um, yeah, but I do feel like culturally we're not as welcoming of uh, minority viewpoints uh, as we used to be. Um, and I think that's leading to some, some backlash among people with increasingly minority viewpoints to say, well, maybe we should use the power of the state to protect against uh, you know, cultural criticism of our unpopular or minority views. Um, so that worries me in the long term. And it comes back to this idea that pluralism ought to be strengthened and we should be confident uh, in a pluralist system. Okay, Professor, I'm thinking that between those two observations, um, the dream uh, of um, uh, of a society where people of differing beliefs are treated not as a threat, but welcomed in conversation, um, and this uh, this sense that there is a very real restriction um, on my public expression because I don't uh, necessarily say things that everybody uh, else agrees with. Um, could that turn into some kind of um, MLK Day assignment? Could you give that to us as like assignment today? In terms of what our what your listeners could, could do today? Yeah. What can I do today to welcome a minority viewpoint? Wow. Well, uh, the easiest thing to do would be to uh, read or encounter a source of information that you typically don't encounter. So mm. if you consider yourself more right-leaning, uh, you know, on social media or on news sites, visit sites or accounts that you don't typically visit. Um, read perspectives from people with different points of view. And the same goes for listeners who tend to lean left. Read perspectives from people on the right. Um, you know, I would tend to avoid the more, you know, intensely partisan perspectives, but there's some really thoughtful voices on both the left and the right these days. Um, doesn't mean you get to change your mind every time you read one of these perspectives, but it really does help to to, to learn and to, to hear what's driving these different uh, points of view. Um, so if you're a Christian, you know, I imagine most of your audience and, uh, you know, are Christians or at least, you know, profess that. Um, if you're a right-leaning Christian, maybe lean into, maybe visit the website Sojourners today and, and read some of the left-leaning Christian voices on that website. Or if you're left-leaning, you know, visit a site like uh, World Magazine, WNG, and, and some of their op-eds that tend to be more right-leaning these days. Um, doesn't mean we change our minds, but it means we learn from each other in the body of Christ. And that is uh, something admirable uh, that we can do together. Well, and if you can find subject 
uh, a subject matter area that both are covering on the same day or in the same week, mm. and you can read yes. those two, then you can really sort of weigh, this is how Christians to the left of me and to the right of me um, are both addressing um, or looking at a similar concern. And that is going to widen our ability to talk with one another for sure. Daniel, what um, what a great idea. Thank you so much um, for joining us today. Um, thank you for all that you do each and every day at John Brown University and at the Center for Faith and Flourishing. That's Dr. Daniel Bennett. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. What is your I have a dream dream today? That's kind of the uh, theme question we're asking today. Um, One of uh, the I have a dream dreams of Martin Luther King Jr. was that America would hold true to its commitment that all men are created equal. And as soon as we say that, we recognize that we are looking back at a document written in a context when all men were not treated as if they were created equal. And so I'm going to encourage us today to think about the equality that we all have as image bearers of the living God who stand in absolute equality in creation, at the cross, and in the kingdom. You and I stand on equal footing with every person of every time and place, all men, all human beings created equally as image bearers of the living God, um, equally Um, equally sinful at the foot of the cross of Christ and equally in the kingdom of heaven for those who respond to the good gift of God's grace offered in Jesus. Like there really is in Christ no longer black and white or red or yellow or any other color. Um, And that's not to say that we're colorblind and that's not to say that our differences don't matter. It's to say that the unity that we experience and the bond of peace we enjoy in Jesus Christ supersedes it all. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen on this special edition of our Martin Luther King Jr. show. We've got another hour of Mornings with Carmen up next. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.